That was better. Still love your mugs and, <laughs> and the pens and the cards, kids. I love that. Let's, uh, let's commit this time in prayer to God. We thank you that we could join together today to worship your holy name, to lift up praises to you in song and in prayer and other ways, Bible reading. I pray now, Lord, that this message, that your word would make its path straight to the hearts of the hearers. That you would bring powerful transformation into the lives of everyone who hears your words and who focuses on you, who worships you. Lord, let that be the case today. May all things that we do here be pleasing to you, profitable to us. Help us by your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> a bloke named A.W. Tozer, you've probably heard of him, pastor, author, theologian of sorts, once said this, God wants worshippers before workers. God wants worshippers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable workers are those who have learned the art of worship. Now, Psalm 100 teaches us the art of worship. It teaches us the way of worship and the why of worship. It describes uh, to us the way to live for God, to worship God, and the reason why we should do that. Psalm 100 reveals the way and the why of worship. If you look at the title of the psalm, uh, not the English title, or mine, um, but the, the actual title of the psalm, part of the scripture, uh, it says a psalm for giving thanks. Now, just remember that whenever you look at a psalm, always read that, um, that title, because it is part of the, the scripture, and, and it can give crucial background uh, context for us to, to, uh, to um, understand the psalm rightly. This psalm says it's a psalm for giving thanks. Uh, not much context there, but it does obviously stamp the, the theme straight up. This psalm is a song of praise. It's a song of thanksgiving uh, to God. In verse 2 and 4, it talks about coming into the presence of God and entering through the gates uh, and into his courts. Right? I just wanted to flag at the start, this is temple imagery. Right, this court and gate language, and coming into his presence. Right, the temple was the central place uh, for God's people to worship him, and so this psalm was likely sung by uh, uh, God's people as they were moving, walking towards the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, to worship Yahweh. Right, Yahweh, who was their promise-making, promise-keeping forever faithful covenant God, right? the God of Israel and of all the earth. The temple was the place where God's presence was, uh, where he lived among his people. Right? That's why they would go to the temple to worship him. Uh, and they would approach him like a good and faithful king. 
And Psalm 100 describes the way to worship this good and faithful king. And it tells us why everyone on the planet should do the same. This psalm is heavily focused upon God. Now you, might, you could say that of, of pretty much any scripture, but this one in particular has God's name or a pronoun in every single line. Right? It's heavily focused upon God in every single line. And that's exactly what worship is, right? It's full focus upon God. It's focused you know, in every line of our life to God. Excuse me, so dry today. Right, as we come together, we focus everything on God. That's what we do here, right? But it also plays out in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work, in our friendships and everything else. The worship of God plays out in all of life. And so the focus today is more on the gathered worship, uh, the gathered people of God in worship, but all these principles extend uh, thoroughly into the rest of life. And now we can break this psalm down into two main sections, verses 1 to 3 and 4 to 5. And in both sections, it describes a way to worship and the reason for that, right? The way and the why. It does that twice, the way and the why. Uh, And I would usually, as you know, just follow the text through, but today I'm going to spice it up, mash it up a little bit. I'm not going to change the Word of God. I'm just approaching it a little differently. I'm just going to bundle it all up so it's in two neat sections, the way to worship and the why of worship. So the way to worship. Verses 1, 2 and 4 say this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter, this is verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. There's seven imperatives in this psalm, right? Authoritative commands or however you want to think of that. Uh, And we just read six of them in in those three verses. Make, serve, come, enter, Give and bless. These are the first brush strokes of the art of worship. Right? They describe the way to worship. Let's have a look at them. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Now, some, some translations will say, uh, shout to the Lord or shout for joy. Right? Make a happy noise to the Lord is, uh, is what it's saying. And this is what a loyal subject might do as a king enters into their presence. They start to praise him. They start to talk about his, his greatness and his power. But I think it's a bit, well, at least for me anyway, I'll speak for myself, but it could be a bit hard for us to understand that in 21st century Oz, right? There's, there's no king um, strutting around here in Sandstone Point. We sort of don't it's not really our context, but it's certainly not impossible to understand. Right? We may not have that king strutting around here, but if you know the God of the Bible personally, our mouth should start to open as though there is a king, right? because there is. And believe it or not, um, 
I talk to a lot of people about God. Big surprise, eh? Big surprise. Um, and it's easy to tell who knows their king. Uh, it's easy to tell who knows their God because they just can't stop talking about his goodness and his greatness and all that he's done for them. They just keep going on about their king, their God, their saviour. It just overflows. And so it should, right? And according to verse 1, all that should be uh, directed to the Lord. This is the way to worship. We make a joyful noise. Not just noise, right, but a joyful noise, and we make it to the Lord. The psalmist is making sure right from the start there that all this praise is heading in the right direction to the Lord. And he's also making sure that it's coming from every direction. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Because the king of the universe is worthy of praise from every living creature on planet earth. Every mouth should be making a joyful noise to the Lord. And I know that some of us, you know, words just don't flow and all that, and that's, that's cool. Um, so you might ask, well, how can I do that? Well, let's learn from the writer of Psalm 66. First few verses say this. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. I reckon that bloke nailed it. Whoever wrote that, <laughs> he knew how to praise God. He knew how to shout, uh, you know, to joy for God. This is the way to worship. We shout out praises to God. We speak up about his greatness. We sing praises. Right? God wants worshippers. And whoever worships will make a joyful noise to the Lord. They'll come into his presence with singing. Now the focus here is on corporate singing. Uh, and we've already learned a few weeks ago on the intro to this psalm series that the psalms are the top 150 worship songs of all time. Right? Top 150. And they've been sung for thousands of years by God's people. Uh, and ever since the psalms were written, thousands and thousands of songs have been written for God's people to sing together. This is the reason that we've come here today, right? To worship God together. And as this scripture says, whoever worships God will come into his presence with singing. And we do that together as the people of God. The church exists to praise God, to give glory to God. Uh, and one way we do that is by singing these worship songs together, face to face, shoulder to shoulder. Our voices rise up to heaven like a beautiful incense and it is pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God uh, because this is the way of worship. Whoever worships will come into his presence with singing. Whoever worships will make a joyful noise to the Lord with whatever voice God has given you uh, because joyful noise and singing to God it's really all about the heart. 
You know, if your voice is propelled by love for God, it doesn't matter that it sounds like screeching tires, right? You just keep on singing. You just keep giving it back to him. That's the voice he gave you. You fling it back. And if you have a lovely voice like my wife, you can use it from the front. Because this is the way to worship. This is the way to worship. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates and courts with thanksgiving. There's that temple language, right? Uh, But what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us today? Wherever we are as God's people, we come together in his presence to give thanks to him. That's what we do. To bless him, to lift up his name. Because this is the way we worship. And in all honesty, I should be able to grab one of these mics and start passing it around and we should be able to shoot up thanks, blessing, praise continually for a very, very long time. We really should. Like We give God this um, thanks directly. We, we lift up his holy name. What's another way to worship? Uh, to serve him with gladness, the text says. Whoever worships God will serve with gladness. Now, some things we do for others are not very glamorous, are they? Not very glamorous at all. But if you keep in mind that you're serving God, it changes everything. It, it suddenly turns everything into an act of worship. Serve the Lord with gladness. How are you serving God at the moment? And what is your attitude while you're doing that? Right? I've been asking myself this week. I go through the, oh, woe is me stages and, you know, things are tough and things are hard. I, I, I'm sort of, my default is doom, gloom, pessimist. But when that gets just blown to pieces, it changes everything. The gladness comes. The serving flows and, and it continues. You know, we might do hard things, but we can do them with gladness. We serve the Lord with gladness. In Matthew, in the New Testament, Matthew uh, chapter 25, Jesus paints this picture of the final judgment to come. It's this great day when the great king will come and separate those who belong to him and those who don't, those who worship him and those who don't. And the king could tell the difference between the people, uh, between those two groups, because they served. He could tell by their serving, the serving of others. They served and blessed and, and cared for others. The king said, whatever you did to others, I count it as though you did it to me. Right? If you have served them, then I consider that you have served me. If they were hungry or sick or thirsty or whatever, if they had any need, the true worshippers were there filling those needs on behalf of the king. They were serving the Lord with gladness. In our terms, that's Christians serving others and especially other Christians uh, because this is the way of worship. Whoever worships God will serve with gladness. A true worshipper of God will bless others on behalf of their king, as an ambassador of their king. They'll serve the Lord with gladness. 
Worship is about making joyful noises to the Lord, telling others about his power and faithfulness and greatness. True worshippers come into his presence with singing. They give thanks to him and bless his name. They serve the Lord with gladness. This is the way of worship. Now, before I move on to the second chunk, the why of worship, how about we just have a few people just yell out something to God? Something. Praise his name. Give thanks for something. Just yell it out. Don't worry about, don't worry about the other people. This is going to God. I'll start. Praise you, God, that you made the heavens and the earth. You are powerful. Praise you for your faithfulness. Thank you. Just chuck it up there. Thank you that you are a good father. Yep. Perfect. for Jesus <clears throat> absolutely cool good time for another sip it's like a desert in here today alright we've looked at the way of worship now let's look at the why of worship why on earth would we do all these things, right? Why do millions of people every single week, multiple times a week, do stuff like this? Why do we do the church stuff? Why not go fishing? Why not play sport? You know, whatever. Why do we come here instead? Now, I mentioned earlier that there were seven imperatives in this psalm. And six of them directly relate to the way we worship. But none of those really matter if you don't understand the why we worship. Now remember that God wants worshippers before workers. And sadly, there's countless people uh, around the world uh, who work through the motions of worship without understanding the why. Right? They attend church out of tradition or duty, or trying to earn heaven, or something impossible like that. Um, right? Countless people know the way to worship, but not the why. So the most important imperative in this psalm is actually the first word of verse 3. Know. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God himself is the reason for worship. He is the focus of all our worship. Know that the Lord, he is God. You need to know that there is a God. Because too many people are being fooled. Too many people are being deceived. Too many people don't know God because this world teaches everything everything else 
teaches anything else to try and, you know, blank that guy, that God, out of life. Right? Just like the foolishness and deceitfulness of evolution. That very teaching, you know, is used to stamp out God. Right? It's more like the theory of nevolution, in my opinion. So you need to know that the Lord is God. There is only one true God. There is only one creator, one maker, and his name is Yahweh. He's revealed himself to the people of Israel so that they would know who he is, and he is God. And since this time was written, God has revealed himself even further to humanity. He's revealed himself through his son, Jesus. And as we heard last week, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the creator and sustainer. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. You need to know that Jesus, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Jesus is the reason for our worship. He is the focus of all our worship. He is the why of all our worship. Know that Jesus is God and know that we belong to him. This psalm summons the whole earth to worship the Lord. But there's not many things more offensive to some people than telling them that they belong to God, that they are owned. That they are owned by God. Many people think that they are self-made. Many people think that no one rules over them. But God is the one who forms people in the womb. He's the one who breathes the breath of life. He's the soul maker. He is Lord over everyone, whether it's acknowledged or whether it's ignored. There's another group of people. Uh, They love to hear that they belong to God. These people are called Christians. In this psalm, this psalm is talking primarily to the Hebrew people. God revealed himself to them, saved them from slavery in Egypt, He called them to be his people and and he was with them personally. And now through Jesus Christ, he continues to call people to himself. Everyone belongs to God because he made them, right? Full stop. But Christians belong to God because he called them and saved them and is with them personally. Christians belong to God as children, as family, belong in a whole new way. Verse 3, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. Here's just a couple of the enormous implications of that sentence. We are his people. If you've put your trust in Jesus as saviour, you are his safely forever what that means is no matter what happens in this life you are his he's got you when tragedy strikes you are his when you lose the lo- when you lose a loved one you are still his 
When mental illness comes flooding in, you are still his. When sickness comes your way, you are still his. When the grave swallows you up, you are still his. And in a thousand years from today, 10,000 years from today, you are still his. You will still be his. Nothing can separate you from the love of God or the presence of God if you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. He is God and you are his and that is good. That is good. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I don't think anyone's called me a sheep or any other form of cattle before apart from God himself speaking through his word. I'm happy to receive that. It's interesting language, right, in this psalm. It talks, about, um, it talks about sheep and it talks about entering through these gates towards God for worship. Hmm, walking through gates towards God to worship him. Sounds a little heavenly, doesn't it? Uh, and it's also interesting that Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd and also the sheep gate. He's the door for the sheep. These are Jesus' own words. In John chapter 10, this is in the New Testament, the Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that Jesus is the good shepherd, the shepherd of your soul? He's not a bad shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He'll never leave his flock. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And this good shepherd also says that he is the gate. He is the door of the sheep. Again, John chapter 10. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He is the shepherd and he is the door. And anyone who enters through him will be saved. What does all this mean? What's it all mean? What's he talk? What is Jesus saying here? If I said I was a shepherd, you'd just go, mate, you're nuts, catch you later. Although I am sort of being a pastor, but you know what I'm talking about. What's he talking about? He's talking about the salvation of your soul. If Jesus calls you to follow him, then do it. Because this good shepherd wants to lead you through the gates of heaven. Right? He wants to, this good shepherd wants to bring you into the lush pastures of heaven. See, Jesus came that his sheep, his followers, his people may have life and have it abundantly and even eternally. Right? That's why he's come. Right? But you can't get there. A sheep can't get there by itself. A sheep all alone just gets devoured. You need a shepherd. And Jesus is that shepherd. And this good shepherd says, I am calling you today to follow me. Listen to my voice. Believe me when I say that I am the door of salvation. Believe me when I say I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
He's a good shepherd. You can trust those words. They're faithful. They're authoritative. The one that Jesus is the most loved and hated in all the earth. Saying he's the only way to heaven. Telling people that he's the gate, that he's the entry point. Talk about controversial, eh? That's what got him pinned to the cross. The final verse says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. God is good even when we're surrounded by the bad things. And when we feel the pinch of this life, his love for us is still full and complete in every way. It's still steadfast. It's not going anywhere. And through all the hard stuff that we face in this broken world, he is forever faithful to every single promise he has ever made. 100% guarantee. God is good, loving and faithful. He always has been, he is today and he will be forever. This is why we worship because of who God is. We worship the Lord because he is good and, 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 and loving and forever faithful. And we know this for sure when we look to his son, Jesus Christ. How can we know for sure that God is good and loving and forever faithful? Because he gave us his son. He gave us his son. He sent his only son to take the punishment on the cross that we deserve for our dramatic failure to worship this God as we should, as, we, as he rightly deserves. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, his, his students, his followers, he used this shepherd imagery to illustrate what he was going to do for them on the cross. Right? This was always the direction he was heading. Um, he was always cross-bound. Listen to what the good shepherd says. These, I love these words. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Did you hear those words? Jesus, the good shepherd, came willingly to die for his sheep, on behalf of his sheep. He came to lay down his life and take it back up again. This is a picture of the cross and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do good shepherds do? They protect the sheep. And our good shepherd went to the cross to protect us from the wrath and judgment of God that is to come. See, because this God is perfectly good, he can't let sin go unpunished. You know, like a good judge, or in a court of law, a good judge can't just let a criminal walk. Justice must be done. And it was Jesus 
who has taken that punishment on behalf of us on the cross. See, he's not only the good shepherd, he's the great substitute. We broke God's law and Jesus paid the fine in full. And God said, that is enough. That is perfect payment. This is the good news. This is great news for people like us. That if we trust that Jesus has paid for all our sin in full on the cross, we will be saved. This is the great grace of God. We're not spinning the wheels of worship here. Worship has come out of all that Christ has done for us. There's no, I've said this plenty of times before. There is no way I'd be here just to do church stuff. Forget that. I'll buy a boat and go out in that passage. And sing. Let's not go into that right now, darling. This is the grace of God that he has provided a saviour for, for us, a shepherd that will protect us and that has done everything that we need to be protected because we haven't worshipped him as God. We've, we've lived as though that we are God. We try and build up our own little kingdoms. We want to rule. We want to reign. God has given us some rain under him, though, under him. So we've approached the, this great king with dishonour and contempt. We've broken his righteous rules. We've, we've ignored his holy commands. And your conscience is witness. It'll let you know. Right? We haven't given him the glory that rightfully belongs to him. None of us, not one of us, has loved the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. But thankfully, thankfully he is good and he is loving and he is faithful. And because of what Jesus done, he is also forgiving. Justice was done on the cross and now... All we do is receive the free gift of salvation by trusting in what is done. We get to worship. And because he's given us Jesus, he's given us his own son. He's not going to hold anything back from us. Heaven and earth itself belongs to us now. It belongs to anybody who will repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. There's nothing we can do. Jesus has done it all. This good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep and he took it back up again to prove beyond doubt that eternal life for us is possible. He's the first fruits of salvation. 
and we're going to follow all who trust in Christ. And so now we have a living hope. He is good, loving, faithful, and worthy of all our worship. Jesus is the reason and the focus of all our worship. That's, that's what this table is about. This table is about remembering and celebrating what Jesus has done, who Jesus is. This table reminds us of the goodness of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God. Right from the beginning, God promised that he was sending a saviour. All throughout the scripture, we see that promise in, in types and, and figures, the different kings. And eventually, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, came. The great shepherd, the great protector of his people came and gave his life on the cross. Some words from this song I heard the other day uh, came to mind. Here's just a snippet. It's from O Victory in Jesus. Is that the name of the... I don't even know the title. It says, I heard an old, old story. How a saviour came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. O victory in Jesus, my saviour forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. The goodness, love and faithfulness of God is displayed right here. Jesus Christ himself, the good shepherd, said, do this in remembrance of me. Right before he died, before he rose again. The bread represents the broken body. The juice represents that spilled blood, the payment. This is the payment table. And it's also the protection table. Right? Thank you, Jesus, is what we, when we look at these elements, we remember what he's done. We celebrate that there's a future for us. Could I ask um, Rod and Lani, please, to shoot down?